Welcome to the Fully Delighted Podcast, a hopeful and helpful resource from South Mountain Community Church, a multi-site church in Utah. Each week we will be hearing from our staff as we explore what makes SMCC unique, as well as what it means to be fully devoted and fully delighted in Jesus Christ. We hope this podcast can be a helpful resource for you to take your next step with Jesus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fully Delighted Podcast. I'm Adam, and I get to serve as the Campus Support Team Director. And with me today, I have Eric Nelson, our Pastor of Teaching and Ministry. Is that right, Eric? Actually, I might have just... You, you, na- you nailed it. That's right. Oh, sweet. Perfect. And we got Paul, Lead Pastor. That one's easy. <laughs> what do I do? You... <laughs> you lead. You golf. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. So we're, we're back here, guys, today, and uh, we are going to continue in Galatians, and specifically, in case maybe you listen to this as you're sitting at your table or desk or wherever you know you listen to this, um, it is a, we're going through the section of Galatians chapter 2, which is going to be a, verses 11 through 21. So, guys, should we just go ahead and start reading, jump into it? Is there yeah, anything? let's just do a paragraph at a time, and we'll mm-hmm. tackle each cool. topic. All right. Well, let me go ahead and read the first paragraph or kind of like thought before it breaks here, uh, starting with verse 11. And uh, it starts like this. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Yeah, let me give you some background on that. All we have to do is go to Acts 15, and I know we've talked about this before, but it's that circumcision group, which were Jewish Christians that thought that Gentiles should have to kind of you know, go through what they went through as a Jew, uh, kind of like initiation rites, that would be circumcision, but also keep some of the other dietary yeah. laws and things like that. Basically live like a good Jewish person in order to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. Like if if Christ was a Jew, then they need to become like Christ. He was a Jew. Mm-hmm. And, and yet there's a huge misunderstanding of the appropriateness of that. Uh, the Apostle Paul, of course, is the apostle with a special calling to reach out to Gentiles, and so he took up their cause and 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 kind of forced the issue and, and pulled together the leaders of the church. James was the leader of the Jerusalem church, so he was in charge of this meeting mm-hmm. called the Jerusalem Council, and uh, they came and heard both sides of the argument, and ultimately... They sided with the Apostle Paul and said, you know what, let's not make it more difficult for Gentiles who are turning to Christ than it needs to be. Gave a couple rules, everybody put their hand in the circle, agreed, that's it, ready, break, and we go back out to our ministries. This was the agreed-upon decision that you don't treat Gentiles any differently simply because they are not Jewish, mm-hmm. and they don't look like Jews. They don't act like Jews. Okay, so now Peter was in that circle. Cephas, yep, that's yep. code Cephas. nickname for Peter. He was yep. in that circle. He, he swore, yep, that's where I'm going to, I'm going to, group decision, I'm all in. He goes back to Antioch, and he starts to pull back from eating with the Gentiles because there's still this circumcision group, and he fears what they think of him. 
He's more he's more fearful of this group and being seen as a good guy or a leader by these guys than he is fearful of the actual consequences of not doing what he said he would do. Mm -hmm. And this is why he gets confronted. Yeah, so he gets to Antioch, Peter does, uh, Cephas, that's the same, the same person, and the Apostle Paul has to, has to call him out. He uses the word hypocrisy a few times because he's saying he would do one thing and then he's living another way. Now, in, in Peter's defense, in Cephas's defense, you know, I don't know if you've ever treasured something for a big part of your life and then found out that thing wasn't what you thought. Huh. It, it's, it's a big hurdle for him to get over. Like, this, he spent his whole life following these Jewish customs. And so now he's being instructed to look at people a different way. I want to give the guy a little grace. You know, I want, mm. I want to be able to honor the process that God changes even Peter from the inside out. Mm. Um, I, there's, I'm in process, and, and he was. So it makes sense that, that, he, would, that he would struggle uh, with this. But the problem uh, that, that they were up against is that Jesus plus something else uh, is a big deal. That mm. actually takes away from the gospel. So by saying Jesus plus a tradition, Jesus plus mm -hmm. a rule, mm -hmm. that would uh, pose a major problem to the gospel. It would be a threat to the gospel because what would happen is people would gravitate towards the rule and lose sight of why Jesus had to die in the first place. And that's where Galatians is about to go. Now, back to Acts 15, Paul, you mentioned they came up with a couple little rules. And every time I read that, I think, well, what do those little rules have to do with it? Like, they did say it's Jesus plus nothing. Oh, by the way, there's just a couple things. And those things were just saying, look, if you do this, though, it'll be so unloving to your right. brothers, Absolutely. they will stumble. It'll be so offensive that at least out of deferment to the people, just stay away from this. A couple of those rules had to do with sexual immorality. Yeah. That'd be so offensive. And also eating... Uh, meat that was sacrificed to idols and drinking blood, I think, was the third. Yeah, that, that would still These are offend. just so offensive to I, I think I'd be offended uh, by that, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so it makes sense that they kept a couple things in there just as wisdom right. uh, out of love to not be so offensive to other people. But what Peter is falling back into was not that. It was the it was the simple rules where basically he was upholding Jewish custom over Jesus, and that was the problem. Now, as I read this this morning, I was studying for our podcast. I, I wrote down this quick thought for myself. It was it was this, you guys. When you give in to religion, people are led astray. And so, what happened is that as Cephas gave in to this religion, even Barnabas, who we learned about last week, the son of encouragement, is what his name means. Right. Uh, he was led astray by this. And so, I've been thinking about the culture that we live in, and. Um, if we were to give in to religion, if we were to give in to additions to the gospel, we might lead people astray. I've seen spouses be led astray by a spouse who said, mm. no, it's Jesus plus this. I've seen kids be led astray mm. by religion. And um, I think it's really important that each of us think we have a role to play in upholding the gospel and not leading people astray by adding religion to it. I think it's it begs the question. So when do we confront a brother? Like the Apostle Paul confronted Peter, when is it appropriate for us to confront a brother or sister in Christ? I, I know that Jesus anticipated this. He talked about it in Matthew 18, starting with verse 15. And what he tried to do is, is, is kind of give them some guidelines like, hey, just go between you two. You don't make it a big deal. Don't try to embarrass the other person. Don't rub their face in it. Just try to get it done, you and the other person. Also, 
uh, you would wi widen the circle to maybe another trusted friend or two, and then to the whole church. But here's the deal. The, the backdrop to that is there's only very few instances where you would confront a brother. One is exactly what we just saw, that Barnabas was led astray. So we would confront a brother or sister in Christ that we have a relationship with, at mm -hmm. least, um, when a non-Christian is turned away from Christ, when a Christian is led astray or caused to stumble, or when the name or fame of Jesus Christ is compromised. Mm. Or we could just say it in one word, Christ is defamed. Yep. And so, you know, how do we know we're the right person? Because we were there. We saw it. Mm -hmm. You know, it was in the context of our sphere of influence, or basically, I am the only Christian of maybe maturity in the room, or even just the only Christian, mm -hmm. well, I'm, I'm the one that's supposed to say something. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, I think you have to look at a few th things that will be clues to how to confront. Um, who was it, What authority or responsibility do the people in the room who witnessed it have? So the Apostle Paul is in the room with these, these new directions. He wit Peter said, you can hold me accountable to it, Paul. So because there was a clear violation there, right. Paul was the one to make the clear confrontation. So it's when I give someone permission, then they have permission to confront. If I've given them permission yeah. to expect something from me, I've also given them permission to confront me if I don't follow through on the expectation. So that's a clear indicator for how to confront. Now, it would be a wonderful thing if church membership actually worked. <laughs> you know, back in the day, there's only one church in each town or village, mm -hmm. and so it worked. Mm -hmm. But now, in the context where there's lots of churches, and if you ever confront somebody, they just go to a different church. That's, I mean, it just true. doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. And, and so yeah. Um, this idea that we would basically break fellowship with that person, you know, there's some more about confrontation in 1 Corinthians. Uh, Paul was talking about the importance of correcting this one particular brother, and then in, in, in 2 Corinthians, he says, you know what, it's time to show some grace to this guy so that he doesn't get discouraged and the devil doesn't get a foothold in his life. Yeah. And so, man, we can overdo this, we can underdo this. That's right. It <laughs> is so difficult. <laughs> yeah. The reason that, uh, as we read on Galatians 2, there was a public confrontation is that the misleading was public. Right. So the larger the platform of the misleading, sometimes mm -hmm. the larger the platform of the confrontation. So that's a, that's a, a rule to keep in mind. Another thing with, with confronting, too, is I, I, you know, if I ever have to have a hard conversation, that's another way to talk about a confrontation, a hard conversation, mm -hmm. you know, start with reassuring this person that you're for them, that they're safe, you know? Absolutely. I think that was built into the relationship between Paul and, and Peter. There was this mm -hmm. kind of thought of, hey, we're, we're on the same team, we're, we're living for God's glory. So I, I think we don't see that in this conversation, it looks very direct, but I imagine there's more to the conversation. Also, how about being as humble as you possibly can and not assuming things that you don't actually know? Yeah. yeah. Withhold the judgment. Exactly. Not, exactly. You, you didn't do this. You must be blank. No, it's yeah. there must be more of the story. Can you help fill in the gap? There you go. Yeah. I like to say that if I have a hard conversation with somebody. So. Do, you, do you feel like... I mean, I feel like this is a lot of things in life, and confrontation is, is a tough thing, right? I think if anybody says, like, hey, confrontation's really easy, I think they're kidding themselves. But, you know, there's uh, there can be Christians on both sides of this um, the 
confrontation, basically. They're going to be Christians who are like, hey, I just confront anybody and everybody in every situation, in every context. Like, I am just just want to brawl, you know? <laughs> yeah. And there's other p- people who would be like, you know what, I just, I'm just avoiding it at all costs. And yet, I think... F- f- I think we should hold that intention, right? That there's mm-hmm. that there is the opportunity to say I, I, it's not just this easy answer: always confront or always don't. Right. But to, to the tension to manage of when do I do this? When's the right time? Is this the right situation? Oh yeah, yeah. I think in some sense it's a cop out to say, well, who am I to confront? I, I blow it. I'm. I, mm. I say stupid things. Mm-hmm. I do. You know what? That's really not the point. It's is a non-Christian cause to turn mm-hmm. away from Christ. Is a mm-hmm. young Christian cause to stumble? And is the name of Christ defamed. And yeah. and so that has nothing to do with your particular walk. Mm-hmm. If you consider yourself a believer, that means you have to love that person enough to confront them. Mm-hmm. Now, see, that is a twist to this whole thing, that it's yeah. actually loving. One of the great books by David Augsburger is Caring Enough to Confront. It's a, it's a book that has changed my life. Yep. Wow. And and he explains some of the things you said, Eric, about how to do that. But humility is king. Uh, but you know what? It's loving to actually put your arm around a brother mm-hmm. or sister and say, can I talk to you about something that I just yep. watched? Yep. Mm-hmm. And you got to be so clear. Don't be wishy-washy. Just yeah. pinpoint what you saw. And I, I, Paul, you bring up a great point. That book, I've never read it. It sounds really good, though, is... The person who doesn't want to confront might love their own comfort in the relationship more than they love the person because they've just overlooked behavior that's actually harming the person or another mm. person. So the you know a failure to confront, or if you're if you refuse to have hard conversations, it might not be you love them so much. It might be that you don't love them enough, exactly. or you actually love your own comfort in the relationship you because yeah. you don't want any tension. Yeah, conflict avoidance isn't also peace, right? It's not the <laughs> same thing. So here comes the confrontation in verse 14. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, I want to know how many alls that was. He says, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So back to the the hypocrisy all over again. As I got to this point in my quiet time this morning, I thought to myself, there are times to confront, but Eric... Are there times that you're willing to be confronted? And that's the other side of this as you read. Sometimes we read it and we think, yeah, I got to be a confronter. Well, there's also mm-hmm. times where we read it and think, I'm more like Cephas and I need to be confronted. But am I open to that? Yeah. You know, that's one of those questions that's not really a question. It's a statement. <laughs> yeah. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Uh, there's no answer for that. <laughs> He's caught. He's caught, He's caught red-handed. Exactly. Yeah. So, I, you know, I don't have too much to say right here. We just have this confrontation. I was thinking that today, have I ever been confronted in a way that that really helped? And um, mm. yeah, uh, there's so many times I don't even know if I could pinpoint a story about that. But, uh, you know, I think typically it's along the lines of, hey, is this about you or is this about the team? You know, like that's probably at the heart of some of the confrontation mm-hmm. that uh, that mm-hmm. I've experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, or, uh, y- you know, you were so quick with this person or this conversation, you didn't hear what they were saying. Mm. Honestly, I think my wife is the best at confronting me. <laughs> I mean, you <laughs> it's know not my, It's not the staff or something. I yeah. don't know what I did wrong, but my kids confront me. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> Hey, that's a good relationship. They're brutal. That's good, you, my that's kids good. call me out. Dad, yeah, they you, call me out. Dad, you said we can't say that word, but you just said it. You know, like that—that <laughs> that can happen. Kids are ruthless at it, and yeah. uh, 
You know, guys, I have a funny story about Jack today. It's going to play into what comes next, because what comes next is an explanation of keeping the gospel and grace the main thing and not works. And uh, it's back to what Peter failed to do, essentially. Um, so this morning, guys, uh, I was reading the Bible, and that sounds really holy. I don't do that like every morning in front of my kids, but it happened this morning. Um, and uh, Jack comes up to me, and he watch, he's watching me read. I was preparing for Galatians 2, this very podcast, and he said, Dad, if you read the Bible on your phone, does it count? And I thought, well, that's interesting, because uh, the word count means something to him. Do I get credit... Am I earning anything from God? Do I get credit from God if I do it like this? Mm-hmm. And I had to pause right there because I had a chance to lead him astray as a parent. I could have <laughs> said, uh, yeah, it counts. Make sure you do it today or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's right, sick. Right, right. So like, I'm not trying to you know, get him to do mm-hmm. something every day with that. I'm just trying to get him to brush his teeth every day. But um, I had to pause and say, son, what do you mean by counts? And he said, you know, like, does... Does, does, do you get to check a box or something? And, mm-hmm. you know, with our kids, we do this ticket system where if they do chores around the house, they get a little ticket. It's worth a nickel. At the end of the week, we give them a dollar or whatever. Like, we have this mm-hmm. thing. So he's, if I do this for mom and dad, it counts. So if I do this for God, does it count? And I had right. to tell him, son, uh, there's nothing that you can do right now to earn something to get more from God as if your behavior makes it count. I said, however, if you want to enjoy God and who He is, then you could read God's Word through the Bible or through a phone. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had to I had to pause there. So anyways, guys, it was a really mm-hmm. interesting story of what we flow into next. So let's mm-hmm. let's read what happened next. So verse 15 yep. says, We who are Jews by birth are not sinful Gentiles. And not sinful. Uh, and not sinful Gentiles. Yeah. Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith. In, by, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. That's, uh, in my Bible, just underlined and emphasized. This is the first of three times, I think, that the Apostle Paul makes that clear statement in Galatians. This Mm. could be the key theological thought of the book. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. You're not justified by the law. Yeah. Exactly. And he had to bring that up right here, because Mm -hmm. anytime you slip back into religion uh, or add to Jesus plus something you add to right. that, you actually go back to a work of the law. Mm-hmm. And so that's why this flows directly and, and, out of this and conversation. And this is, this is where the Jews went absolutely wrong, and, and the Apostle Paul was very good at pointing this out, and that is, the law can't rescue you. Mm-hmm. That's not the intention of the law. The law was had a couple of purposes. The first purpose of the law was it was a gift to the Jews to show them how to live. This is the only mm-hmm. decent way to live. You live like this, and your lives will generally flourish. Mm-hmm. And under the Old Covenant, you'll actually be rewarded for that. There, mm-hmm. There'll be land, there'll be peace, there'll be prosperity. This is awesome. This is a gift. Okay, the other reason for the law is it shows God's character. This is what... God cares about. This is his moral compass that he's given you. It's a reflection of his own moral being. Mm-hmm. And then thirdly, ultimately, it showed us that none of us are really that great mm-hmm. and that we need a, we need a Savior. Mm-hmm. And that's where this book is going to go. Okay, Paul, you say the law is not useful in justification, then what was the point of it? And the book's going to get to that in, yeah. in just a little bit. It was a guardian. It was a tutor in school. It would guide us along mm-hmm. to show us our need. Um, you know, I think it's important to talk about what justified means. Um, yeah. 
you know, forgiveness, justification, those are those big theological words. Uh, there's a few ways I like to think about it. I think Tim Keller turned me on to this approach, but uh, forgiveness is you may go, you're free. Mm-hmm. Justification is welcome home, you know, you may, you may come. And it's, it's your, you, you have the right standing to now stand in my presence and mm-hmm. be with me. Um, so if forgiveness is get out of jail, justification is welcome home. It's this right, it's this right standing, it's a legal declaration. And so justification, you know, it's a very powerful word to use here. It's we can stand, uh, in, and our standing is valid, with God because of Jesus. So it's that mm. legal declaration uh, of a right standing. So it's a great word. Hey guys, I'm really interested in verses 17 and 18. It says, but, in, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Well, the Apostle Paul said, absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. And so let, let me try to interpret that. That is a, such a strange sentence. Basically, what argument that the, that the Apostle Paul is proposing is, like, somebody could say that I'm in Christ, but they continue to sin. Christ somehow didn't take away their sin, uh, and, so, and yet they're justified. So doesn't that promote law-breaking? And... The way that we hear it right in our context here in Utah, and especially at South Mountain, is people that come from the predominant religion come to South Mountain and they say, look, if you're saved by grace through faith, and it's not by works at all, like you, it doesn't matter what you do, your mm. standing in Christ is, is, your justification is secure they wouldn't use that word justification, but you're you're completely forgiven, you're completely mm. accepted, loved, forgiven in Christ, you're good to go. Mm-hmm. Not based on what you do, but just simply based on your faith mm-hmm. in Christ and that gracious work of Christ. What would keep you from sinning? Right. They have no idea. Now, why wouldn't you just go do whatever you want to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That has been asked to me over a hundred times <laughs> well, since I've lived here. It's interesting. Do you, th- you know, I'm, I'm thinking back two weeks ago, I think it was. Um, uh, Eric, when you had preached, you'd used a prop, uh, the stick and the carrot, right? Yeah, yeah. So they're kind of, it seems like a lot of people are thinking, well, if there's no stick. Yeah, to beat people am, into obedience. Yeah, and there's no carrot to lead people into obedience. Yeah, then what am I supposed why to Why would they obey? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I consider this the greatest um, declaration of, or I should say maybe the greatest uniqueness to Christianity of any other religion. This sets Christianity apart, that God, through Christ, bet the farm that His love his grace, his kindness, and his mercy would win the day in people's lives where now they simply do things uh, to honor him, give him glory, reflect him. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the things that we talk about in terms of authority, identity, and activity, all this is done on the basis of a love relationship where they honor, respect, uh, align th- themselves with Christ. It's mm-hmm. all that sort of thing, mm-hmm. and not fear of, of punishment, 
and a desire for God to give them some sort of nice thing, like Absolutely. a blessing. Absolutely. It, I've heard you say it like this, Paul, uh, our sin problem at the core is an awe problem. That's right. Yeah, we are failing to be in awe of all that Jesus has done for us, and so that, uh, when we do that, when we see Him for who He really is, um, uh, all the have-tos become want-tos and get-tos, and uh, that's yeah. what the Apostle Paul's getting after here. And you're right, Eric, every religion in the world is carrot and stick. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so... The Apostle Paul is saying, if I if I rebuild what I destroyed, if we if we <laughs> if we dismantle the need of the of a law, but then we rebuild the law, then surely I'm a lawbreaker. He's like kind of working this unique little mm-hmm. illustration. It's a bit of a tongue twister. I've had to think about it in a few ways, and I not, I hope I'm getting that right, but I think that's what he's getting at. But again, it, the Apostle Paul is is not tearing down the law. He's just helping them see it in a different light. The law is still good. This is Romans chapter 7, mm-hmm. he, you know, when the Apostle Paul talks about what a sinner he is. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, I know the law is good, but it doesn't actually change me. Right, right. And so now we need to dismantle what we used to think about the law as far as a source of salvation and rebuild a new view of the law as simply... God's expression of love to us. Absolutely. And that's exactly where this passage wraps up. Chapter 2 ends right here. For through the law, I died to the law. All right? So this is what he's getting Mm -hmm. at. For through the law, I died to the law, meaning the law showed me that I was a sinner, and it showed me the law couldn't save me. Okay? So... The law made me aware of my sin, but the but I died to the law, meaning it wouldn't be the path of my salvation. I had to give up that approach. And so he had to die to his old way of life in which he thought the law could save him. Right. So that's the, the genius behind this argument, so that I might live for God, okay? Death to life. Death to a law of salvation, but the law is not bad. Remember, it showed me my need for salvation, and now I have life with God because he saved me. Verse 20, I have been crucified... Oh, and this verse, this next part, guys, I don't memorize a lot of the Bible, but this verse I've memorized without trying to. I don't know why. Oh, maybe in seminary I had to translate the book of Galatians, but this verse has identity built into it. I'm going to read this, but remember, Mm -hmm. identity is the story we tell ourselves about ourselves. This is the Apostle Paul's story he tells himself about himself. Here it is. We can all adopt it. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And that that is a story you can tell yourself about yourself, meaning mm-hmm. um, I do not set aside the grace of God. So if we want to go back to salvation through some religious rules or a law, we set aside grace. Um, but when we set aside grace to choose the law over grace, Jesus died for no reason. It makes his death useless. So every time we go back to religion to earn our way to a right standing with God, it's as if we're saying, Jesus, you didn't need to die. That is an offense to him. And so Paul wraps up Galatians 2 with this incredible argument that I think every listener just should have their mouth open, jaw on the floor, saying, oh my goodness, I would never want to make Jesus' death useless. Therefore, I should never set aside grace for a law. And mm. that is the beautiful argument in Galatians 2. Love it. Love it. Guys, this is great uh, conversation. So much more that we continue to go into and even just look at some more of uh, Apostle Paul's writings and things like that. And it just be, yeah, so great to continue to go on to. But we're about at our time. And 
Um, so listeners, so glad that you have been here with us today and can find more resources to study with and to just come along with Paul and Eric as, uh, as they explore the book of Galatians. So thank you so much for being here today, guys. Thank you, listeners. And we'll see you again next week. Thanks again for joining us for the Fully Delighted Podcast. If you enjoyed this hopeful and helpful resource, we'd love to have you leave us a review or share an episode with a friend. For more information about SMCC, please visit us at our website at smccutah.org. Thank you for trusting us with your time, and we look forward to having you back again soon.